This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Lee Straw, welcome to Better Reading. Hello, thanks for having me on. Yeah, now you've been with us before. What were we talking about the last time you were here? Yeah, I came in to talk about Lillian Armfield, who was Australia's first female detective. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you're back again. You're an academic, a historian and a writer. Uh, you're the best-selling author of a range of fiction and non-fiction titles and is particularly passionate about Australian history. Would I say Australian women's history? Yeah, it, it seems yeah. to have become that. Yeah, I've yeah, got a general it. interest in Australian history, but I'm, I'm really drawn to this, to women's history. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, which is, you know, because their stories have very rarely been told, have they? Yeah, it, it took us a long time to play. We've been playing catch-up for a long while, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, Anne Summers was amazing in the 70s and highlighting the mm. need for more women's stories. Mm. Um, Lee's previous books include The Worst worst Woman in Sydney, um, which is uh, the one you were in for last time. Is that right? Um, no. Lillian was the last one, yeah. Lillian was the last one, Lillian Armfield. Um, and uh, that was about Australia's first female detective. Lee is a senior lecturer in history at the University of Notre Dame in Perth. Expanding on her interest in Australian crime history, Lee is here today to discuss her latest book, Angel of Death a biography of Dulcie Markham, referred to in the press at the time, Australia's most beautiful bad woman. Dulcie was a key figure in Australia's Australia's underworld from the 1920s to the 1950s, the most violent years of of Australian crime. That's an incredibly interesting subject, and why her? Well, I was drawn to her story because having... How do you find them? Um, you know, you want to say something fantastic like they, they find me, the stories find me. But um, I came across her because I was looking at Kate Lee and Lillian Armfield, you know, two yeah. sides, different sides of the law. And Dulcie kept popping up because she was the, the prostitute caught in those worlds and, and used by the organised crime bosses, but also having to carefully manoeuvre herself around those underworlds. And she stood out because she's an absolute stunner, you know, and you yeah. look at the original photographs of her, she is incredibly beautiful. So so that in itself drew me in, you know, her looks against this story of being quite a, um, quite a bad woman, if you will. Tell me about that. Like, you know, if we go back historically, um, w- women in crime, well, women just generally historically, we've not heard their stories, but particularly women in crime. And why do you think that is? I think it comes down to the historic reality that in terms of offenders, three in four offenders are, are men. So the interest in, in their stories and, and crime history has been male-oriented because of that. But it's also because women involved in crime were outcast even further because 
this idea of the the ideal, if you will, of the good woman meant that any women involved in crime were immediately bad women and they were immediately, as I say, outcast or ostracised from society. But I think it's it's a kind of thing that falls into what you said before about where we've got this huge gap in the histories that we tell that we're still playing that catch-up to put women into into the stories. Yeah. Um, so tell me about her. Tell me about Dulcie. Well, Dulcie, where do you start? I mean, she's yeah. got such a, um, a full story and I, I spent so much time, time trying to follow her around the country yeah. because she had a criminal career that wasn't just Sydney. It extended to Melbourne and it extended up to Brisbane as well. And then she popped up in Perth in the 1940s and was quickly, you know, shoved back over to the eastern states. She, um, she was a runaway at the age of 15. Her family seems to have been a kind of fractured family uh, in Waverley. Her father had left by the time she was a teenager. She had a younger sister who was born to another dad. Um, And her her mum had an interesting background that I managed to uncover details of how she had also been a bit of a troublesome youth um, in her teenage years. We don't know for sure why she ran away, but she did. She ran away at 15. She ends up on the streets of eastern Sydney and starts uh, working as a a street walker, as a a street prostitute at the age of 15 in Woolloomooloo. So Mm. one of the hardest, you know, most violent areas, tough areas of of Sydney. And from that establishes this really interesting reputation, um, catches the eye of Tilly Devine, who the, the local story is that Dulcie was walking past and Tilly saw her and immediately wanted her because she was so incredibly beautiful. And Tilly being the you know criminal entrepreneur that she was, she realised that she could be a real moneymaker. So she, she starts out very young on the streets, ends up in the brothels, and then from there um, creates this really interesting story of being a woman who is involved in organised crime, as I say, in Sydney, Melbourne and, and in Brisbane. But, I mean, is it that because she has a bit of nous? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Um, she she was a kind of character and trying to figure her out. She was very complex and yeah. there was many layers to her, as we are as women. And I think that's the really great thing to emphasise, mm. this idea of either a good or a bad woman. Well, there's more there's more grey in there. We're mm. more complicated and that's what makes us fantastic. Mm. Just when you think you've worked us out, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, so she was she had the, the looks, but she had the character and she also had the toughness. And, I mean, you know, she had to develop that from 15 because she had to look out for herself on yeah. really violent yeah. streets. Yeah, yeah. Because there are many um, women, you know, who are, prostitutes who don't kind of veer off and or branch off if you like and start a business but that's what she did didn't she yeah she essentially did that yeah Yeah. and she got involved in sly grog selling she was also involved in the gambling scene yeah and she carefully maneuvered around that she would try and make out to the detectives that you know she was just a minor level person that was involved and in fact it was the men that she was working for but the police were never convinced by that. They really thought that she was probably running the, the show more than she let on. Yeah, I like that. I like that yeah, because yeah. That, that again shows, you know, business now, doesn't it? You yeah. don't really show all your cards. Um, in terms of the way we look at her historically, was there any barriers to you finding out information about her or was it as transparent, I guess, as, as male history? Were there any, are there any conflicts there? You know, well, conflict's not the right word. I mean barriers. Yeah. Like yeah, is there yeah, as much yeah. about women as there is about men? I think it's also the criminal aspect of her life, you yeah. know, so she didn't want to share too much to, no. you know, uh, implicate herself in, in these really serious crimes. She wasn't like a Kate Lee who later on sat down with the press and said, I'll tell you my story. Or right. Lillian Armfield who said, you know, I've made this pivotal contribution to Australian policing history. But Dulcie did talk to reporters 
actors. She liked Bill Jenkins, who was one of her favourites, um, and he often talked to her outside of courtrooms. Yeah. So she revealed bits and pieces of her story. She added to the glamour of her, of her story. You know, she told the reporters that she'd won modelling contests as a teenager and, you know, she went out for a good time. That's how she ended up on the streets of Eastern Sydney. The barriers to her story I really found is that there's silences in the family. You know, right. her, um, her nephew, he and his wife have been fantastic in supporting well, the story. I want to talk about that. So yeah. when you find a subject, do you get permission from family? How, how does the process yeah, work? That's one of the first things that I do yeah. um, because we have to respect the family's rights. And I got in touch, as it turned out, it was through Ancestry that um, – Dulcie's nephew's wife is um, working on the family tree. So I got in touch. And so said, how old would Dulcie have been now? Dulcie, my goodness, when she, well, look, Dulcie. She was only born in what, 1939? 1914, 1914. Oh, yeah, 1914. Yeah. Okay, but she's quite right. young when she dies. So, right. Yeah. You know, but she had the younger sister and that's where the yep. nephew's story comes in. And they were fantastic. They were very supportive. Um, but the one thing that they did mention is that her, Dulcie's nephew didn't find out about his aunt Dulcie until his mum passed away. So there was a silence in the story that oh, his mum wow. never talked about her sister. Yeah. Um, and so he, you know, his mum's passed away, interested in the family story, stumbles across aunt Dulcie and realises that, you know, there's this huge backstory he didn't know anything about. Oh, so I think the, the family silences are sometimes a major barrier in telling these stories. Yeah. Um, but then from that, you know, they shared photographs and they're still on the journey of trying to figure out more as well. Yeah. I guess she would have been embarrassed by her sister. I imagine she might have been. She might have um, known what Pretty she was. notorious record to have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess there's an element of where, you know, with our kids we shield them from things and mm. we'd rather they find things out when they're adults than actually knowing yeah. that when they're younger. So maybe it was an element of not telling her family because she wanted them to be sort of kept yeah. away from that side. Do you get more stories from the family? Did you get more stories from the nephew? I you think didn't what know? you really, what I really found is that I had a bigger picture of her in terms of a family story. So not necessarily because it makes it more human, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. When you when you understand that the family she's come from and the family before that, you can build up a, a, an understanding. It's not that she's suddenly just born in 1914. You actually have the family story right. before that. I mean, the family story was interesting in itself that, as I mentioned, her mum had a backstory that I uncovered with some of the, the records. Um, but her father was interesting too because when Dulcie was born, he wrote on or had it written on the birth certificate that he was a theatrical artist. And that right. there's still question marks around that, but you have to wonder if he was kind of that way minded maybe yeah. that was passed on a little bit to Dulcie with a bit of the performance if you will yeah yeah really interesting do you find as you're working on a character like Dulcie that you begin your own relationship with her in your head Oh, yeah, yeah. Does it's, that yeah, there's Talk a... to me about that. I love that. <laughs> I mean, fiction authors do it all the time, but I wondered yeah. whether non-fiction authors did it. We have to. We have to get into mm. their minds you in a do. way to figure you them out. You have to form the person that she is, don't yeah. you? Yeah, you do. I don't think you could ever go through this kind of process of researching, writing about somebody for, for a length of time without really getting inside their head and trying to figure them out. If you don't do that, they just remain very two-dimensional. They're not yes, interesting. you're not going to capture of, them, are you? Yeah, yeah. So I had to, I guess, in telling her story, imagining, what she went through, the streets that she walked, the the places she lived, 
um, imagining what it was like to have these different relationships and, and living in what was a very violent world. And at the same time, remembering too she's a woman and figuring that out from that perspective yeah. as well was, was really interesting. Yeah, they get in your head. They really do. Yeah, they do. And do you get to a stage, you know, are you saying at some point, oh, why did you do that? Do you say, think about things like that? Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at, I guess, because we've got the value of hindsight. So some yes. of the men that she became involved with, mm. I was sort of thinking, oh, no, that's, you know, you shouldn't mm. go that way or, you know, yeah. there's an idea of what might happen here. Yeah. Um, it's, but it, then it has the really funny moments too where yeah. there's great stories about Dulcie sitting outside of a pub in St Kilda. You know, she's been shot in the hip and it's um, in a cast, so she's got her leg up on a chair and the men are bringing beer out to her. You know, she's kind of clicking her fingers and out comes another beer and there's a couple of kids that are watching including Brian Matthews who is a great author um, and he recalls you know him and his mate staring at Dulcie because she's the most known wow. person in Faulkner Street and she yeah. basically she really she turns around and in true Dulcie fashion tells them to yeah you know yeah. <laughs> in, in very colourful terms you know yeah to nick um, off yeah 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 in a nicer way of putting it yeah, yeah. so there's moments where I sort of I laugh because I thought yeah she could kind of look out for herself and you could hear her saying that oh yeah yeah you would hear the gruffness I think, yeah. of her voice. Does, when you finish the book and you deliver it, well, I guess you give it to the nephew to read first. Well, they had, there was bits and pieces that I shared with them. Uh, going um, along. Yeah, 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 as I went along and the, the telling of the story. Um, I, had, I sort of confirmed material with them in terms of the family tree that they had there. Um, and then from from this point, um, they get a copy and yes. they get to go through it. And yeah. and do they come back with anything? I, I just think that that for them must be, you know, a closure in a way that they've there's been an acknowledgement. There's now a book. You know, it's 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 very fairly special, isn't it? Well, I think it humanises the story. Yeah, you know, it, does. it makes and her validates it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the, you know, casting this off to the side as a, you know, years ago you say it was a shameful story yes, that you wouldn't want right. to own it. it it's human humanising her story, bringing her out. And, Isn't it? Yeah. And for, for a family member, I think that there is a validation there, you know, that she was somebody of note. Yeah. I'm mean, sure she was a criminal, but, you know, we idolise male criminals all the time. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. let's look at <laughs> historically Australia's done that for a long time, Ned yeah. Kelly, you yep. know. Yep. Yeah. Um, is it that this is going to be your – tell me what you do on a daily basis as well as right. I mean, how does that work together with your career? Yeah, it's an interesting scenario. It is um, interesting. I've got a, a I'm lot always of... trying to get... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
get my head around what you do. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I work full time as a lecturer, so yes. the, on a day to day basis, I'm you know getting ready for classes, teaching, you know, the administrative work. What that goes do you lecture on? I lecture mainly in Australian history. Yes. Um, and mainly women, or you broadly? Broadly, Australian history, but right. um, I also run a history of crime course, so oh, I, I have wow, a lot fantastic. of fun teaching yeah. about Australian crime topics. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously allows a lot of the women's stories to come through. Yeah. So that's one aspect of what I do, but it's it feeds into the writing because it's storytelling as well. You've yes. got to tell a story in a lecture because you've got to grab the interest of students. Yeah. Because if you don't grab their interests, you know, they're, they're falling asleep or they're on Twitter or whatever yeah. it is that they're on, you know. Um, so that's part of my life. But the other part of it that works with or around this, I don't know how, um, sometimes is being a mother of three little boys. Oh, wow, as well. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, that in itself is another job. So you've got a full-time <laughs> job or you've got two full-time jobs being a mother. Um lecturing at the university and then writing. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because we often talk to um, writers about carving out time to write. Um, When is your time to write? Any opportunity that I get. If there's there's some time during the day at work, I might spend a little bit of time doing some writing or research. Um, But the time that I really appreciate is particularly coming away on trips, you know, and and being in a hotel room going, okay, well, I've got a few hours I can sit and use it. Um, but I really love getting away to West 2J. We go out there and um, sit in the bush. And Where is it? West 2J is just um, east of Perth. So oh, it's a, a little country town. Um, yeah. We're over the bridge in the west. We're in the hood, right. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got a little place there and um, we go there, the kids run about, and I can sit there and just you know, do yeah. some writing with the kids, you know, the noise all around me and the wonderfulness of them, mm. but not feeling like I've separated myself from them. So, mm. look, you know, most days it works. Some days it's a juggle. The reality mm. is that you do have your moments where you think, I don't think today went quite how I expected. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but you just, as I think we women do all the time, we just roll with it. Yeah. Um, it, it's really interesting because we launched these podcasts, oh, I don't know, about 200 authors ago, I think. I've spoken to 200 uh, up to now and there isn't one author that's ever said to me I've got a writing room and I (laughs) do you know because that's our vision of it is oh yeah that I wake up in the morning and I go to this beautiful writing room that overlooks the lake (laughs) and I sit there right not one not one person has ever I've got said writing that. spaces. You know, yeah. I've got tables. I've got old tables that I sit yeah. at. And, uh, you know, Kitchen tables is a common yeah. area that I, yeah. Yeah, I the, hear. I mean, there's, there's definitely writing spaces that, that I do have. Yeah. Um, I go to cafes. There's I have some favourite cafes. I've yes. sat in pubs writing yeah. as well. There's a yeah. lot of great pubs that are about the place. Yeah. Um, so I guess you just create the writing space where you can. Yeah. I remember reading Stephen King when he had written the book on writing. And his idea is that you have this writing space, you shut yourself off, you close the door. And I remember reading that laughing, thinking that's just not possible in my life. I haven't met anyway. a, a writer like that yet. <laughs> I mean, I, might, I I would think maybe all writers aspire to that, but I don't know if you ever get there. I don't know. Yeah. No. But have... we can keep the dream alive. Yes, we can keep you hoping. Can. <laughs> you can. Now tell me, with your writing style, do you, as you're researching, are you starting to write or do you do all the research and formulate the story in your head and then put it on paper? Or how, no, what's your I, yeah, yeah, I research and write at the same time. Oh, you do? Yeah, so there's always going to be the element of where I have to go back and I haven't, you know, correctly put that part together or I need to add more to right. it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I find that it works for, better for me researching and writing at the same time because it's and a process of coming And you work chronologically? Um, it depends on the story. Depends right. on the story. Sometimes I'll jump about. Um, but certainly with this one, with, with Dulcie's story, 
it had to be chronological because she moved around that many times trying to, you know, go into smoke, as she would say, or dodging the police, Yeah, that I had to chronologically set out her story to figure out where she was at different times. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Because there's different, you know, I hear lots of stories about people not starting to write until they have the story in their head, but I guess nonfiction is slightly different. Um, have you got another one in you? Oh, I'd like to hope so. That's yeah. the angst, isn't it? When you come yeah. to the, the end of a book, it's, you know, giving a part of yourself away. Yeah. Um, I jokingly said recently, oh, I sort of say jokingly, but I'd love to write, I'd love to write Al Boy's biography, you know. Yeah. Um, Anthony Albanese, I think, has got a fantastic backstory. He has. But his role has significantly changed. So I imagine <laughs> that, you know, he won't, he'll be looking for someone else or himself to write that story. Um, I, I would be really interested in writing about, there's a, there's a 1925 murder case that uh, took place in Perth and there was a young woman who, called Audrey Jacob who went to a government ball and she shot her ex-lover dead on the dance floor, walked up to him with a pistol and shot him through the heart and he died wow. within five minutes. And this wonderful story is not just that, it's the fact that she went through the inquest and the trial and in going through that whole story, you follow why she did this because there was no question that she had shot him. Right, yeah. But the police and the detectives in particular were trying to piece together how could this 20-year-old woman walk onto a dance floor and shoot her ex-lover dead? Yeah. You know, it was it was quite scandalous at the time. So that's drawing me in. That's another women's story, I guess. Yeah, you know? yeah I quite like that. Yeah. And would you ever write about someone who's not dead? <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> well, know, is it, ways. I wonder? Because you don't have – do you have the same artistic licence? I wonder if yeah, that true. is easier. I mean, I guess if, you, if somebody's still alive, then, yeah, you can sit down and talk to them. Mm. Um, or they might have an opinion about your opinion of they them. They might do. They might do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah might I would do. love to to do somebody who is alive. You know, I yeah. really would. Um, I'm quite drawn to political stories as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite drawn to the entertainment industry. And, yeah. and, and, and You're kind of unique in that, you know, often when people tell um, crime nonfiction stories, they're usually a journalist mm. and they're usually about somebody else live or in yeah, prison or yeah. whatever um so you you're i've got a you've brought a new approach to this i think yeah you know it's it's a slightly different background talking about women and i want to talk about women and not just women in crime you know women in and in, in the marks that they've made on history do you think a lot has changed do we do we talk about women criminals now do we like you know there's so many um Stories that come out, um, you know, in New South Wales, in Victoria, you know, corrupt policemen, um, drug rings, things that are happening in prisons. Do we hear a lot about women? Not in the contemporary situation. No, we no, don't. Not do as we? much at all. So, so not a lot has changed. Has we're it? drawn into the historical stories because there's a distance with that yes. as well, and I think that allows. Well, you because to, you're telling you know, them. Yeah. But yeah. Are people telling women's stories now? Not as much as they could be. We don't no. tell the stories of women who are in prison. We don't tell the stories of why it is that we've got this dramatically increasing um, recidivism rate of women in and out of prison. That's Do one we? of the biggest, yeah, it's one of the biggest issues. Well, I mean, I've seen uh, there's current research. One of my postgrads is putting together some some research at the moment, and she's looking at women's incarceration and their experience in Western Australia. And the data that she's coming up with is that there is an increasing number of women who are recidivists and can't get out of that cycle of offending and re-offending and 
her argument is there's still not enough support for women. Yeah. Um, one of our biggest issues is the growing number of uh, young Indigenous women being incarcerated and, and getting caught in that cycle. And it's not just the crime, it's the social situation around people. Yeah. Um, it has to do, you know, with policing, it has to do with... Attitudes. Uh, attitudes, with the drug problems that exist mm. across our country. You know, the, the issue with drugs, that's one of the most mm. serious social problems we've got at the moment. Um, mm. And you see that in the lives of women who are mm. being incarcerated because... It, in part, it's the drugs, but the other side of the story is coming out and the family situation is really fragmented. So it's safer for them being in prison. Yeah. I'm going to ask you this. You might not know the answer, but I'll give it a go. Um, so just recently, we're hearing about women's deaths in Victoria particularly. Yes. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that that is a state kind of trend? Like, is there a difference between what's happening there and what's happening in other states and why? I don't actually know um, mm. because we are scratching our heads a little bit and concerned that this – it's easier to say it's a problem that's in Melbourne. Yeah. You know, this has occurred in Melbourne and it's, yeah. it's pretty dramatic of recent recent times. But women are dying across the country. Women are. are facing, you know, violence across our country. Um, unfortunately, Melbourne's seen that in a very public way, um, particularly in the parks uh, in Melbourne. But the real issue here, and this is what scares us the most, I think, is that as a society, we're still not doing enough to protect women. We're still not understanding that male violence is the really serious issue that, that exists here. And, you know, and wonderfully, police officers have been coming out in Melbourne and saying this is not an issue with you know, about women. This is not about women being in parks. This is not about women being out late at night. This is about male violence. And that, that's a step ahead. That really is a step ahead for serious, for you know, senior police officers to state that. But it is a real concern. It is a real concern because we, as you know, when you, when you grow up, as a woman, you are aware of this um, possible violence that could be committed against you. So you don't want to walk through parks later. Do you know, night, it you has know. made me rethink walking mm. home. I mean, mm. you know, it does make you stop and think. And it that's, does. That's terrible. But it also makes you think, why should we feel like mm. that? We mm. shouldn't feel like that. We should feel that we can be safe, that exactly. we can walk about the place and yeah. that we shouldn't be a target of violence. Oh, absolutely. Um, three, three young men were killed in King's Cross. Terrible. King hit and you know, very, very sad for their families. But the cross was closed down due to three young men dying in the cross. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, hundreds and hundreds of women have been murdered in that area and we've never even thought about closing anything down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder what the response would be if men were being murdered in parks. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting connection to make, isn't it? That mm. as a society we deal with... with violence differently we do. between men and women and there hasn't been we're starting to there's starting to be an outcry now about male violence about women who are being killed um but we're not screaming it from the rooftops as much as we should yeah. we're not dramatically changing things as much as we should um it's all very well to run workshops on on violence for for men and you know prominent positions or in football clubs and stuff like that but we're also hiding behind this idea of oh, the boys club and you know boys will be boys no violence is violence mm -hmm. and against women it's happened for centuries we've had centuries to look at the serious issue of domestic violence we importantly have not relegated it to being behind closed doors but it still is we mm -hmm. have a greater social understanding of that but violence is still being committed mm -hmm. against women I, I just don't think we're doing enough and 
you know, you talk about the the story behind the story. When you're talking about domestic violence, I come out of a family where my granny in Scotland suffered horrific domestic violence in the the 50s and 60s, and then continued on into a second marriage in the 1980s. And my mum is a survivor, having come through that, and the transgenerational trauma associated with that is it doesn't have an endpoint because you you don't have to have directly experienced the violence yourself but the manner in which it affects a family continues down the generation so we're not just dealing with violence against women we're not just dealing with a violent act we're not just dealing with the murder of of women we're dealing with the transgenerational transgenerational impacts of that which is a serious issue mm. Lee Straw thank you very much you're always so incredibly interesting oh thank you thanks for having me here it's always nice it's like a big warm cuddle <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.